Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talks, your trusted resource for your money, your future, your life. I'm your host, Nick Antonucci, joined today by Dr. Roger Totoro, Jared McKenzie, CFP, and our producer, Kelly Lynn. And as we kind of change gears here and get into our next segment of, you know, our economic topic of the week, we're going to talk inflation, employment, things like that. But you can't help but wonder how much of this is driven by people being so flush with cash. Maybe that's, you know, a result of... Stimu- several several rounds of stimulus checks, sure. um, you know, savings being at an extremely high rate relative to historical times, and it's like people were given this free money, and they're like, "Well, yeah, I'm well, not that, spending that it elsewhere." Honestly, it's becoming reminiscent of the the housing crisis because it, it feels like people think this stuff will just keep going up forever, and everything that they buy. We got so many clients more than ever. I feel like just wanting to buy random you know stocks that they like and, and that's fine everybody should do that to some degree i think but right now everyone's making money because everything that they're buying just about is going up and especially this kind of stuff it just it, it really just breeds more of wanting to do that so, so. you're hearing like i know i'm hearing stories i've heard stories from other employees more and more people we know are like oh they quit their job because they're making more trading right now yeah. than they were at their job that's great savor it while it lasts mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember 99, 2000. Yeah, yeah there are exactly. plenty of those, right? Sure. Well, and even as soon as last year, we were just telling everybody, you, you should probably dial back that tech exposure, and nobody wanted to do it. And look look where it's at now and what's happening. Eventually, this will come back because it's just not sustainable at the rate we're, we're going right now. Sure. Well, you know, back, back to inflation. Um, a lot, you read any financial news, business news these days, and, and the hot topic right now is inflation. And you had, you know, Jerome Powell and the Fed basically saying this is transitory. And you can certainly understand their argument, um, you know, just from the base effect. Like we said earlier in the show, you go back to the price of energy um, one year ago and oil was at $25 a barrel. It's up more than, you know, 100% from there. We're in $65 mm-hmm. a barrel. And, and so it's understandable how you can look at the data and say, oh, well, you know, inflation looks really high, but it's becoming because it's you're comparing to those year ago lows. Uh, same thing with food. We've had all sorts of supply chain constraints. You know, production was shut down for you know a chunk of last year here. Not everything's open globally. Um, Roger, but with as much money as we've printed you're, you're seeing wage growth around 3.4%. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I, you know, we have our concerns that, that this time you are going to get the inflation. You know, back to 2009, you know, same boat. We were mm-hmm. printing lots of money. But economic growth coming off the great financial crisis was very modest. Right. I mean, again, last comparing this crisis, the pandemic recession, by the way, 08, 09 is very different. Because, I mean, as I say, every recession is different. In some of my speeches, I'll put up a chart and show like just in Atlanta, uh, the sectors of the economy that got hit in 2000 were different than 2008, were different than 2020. Sure. Uh, so I think the thing I would point out was in 2008, uh, 9. When the Fed got very aggressive and moved toward quantitative easing after we hit the zero lower bound on short-term rates, what they affect is the so-called monetary base, which we think of as the as the feed corn for growing the money supply. But ultimately, it doesn't become money supply until the banks take the deposits and make the loans. And so while that so-called monetary base went up significantly. Banks were holding on to all that money. They held a lot of cash for good reason. They were very concerned about liquidity. And they were incentivized to do so. Right. Absolutely. We started paying them excess reserves. And this time around, though, I think, you know, you're coupling it with... 
the PPP, which is effectively automatically forcing out loans, mm -hmm. which may or may not need to be repaid. So it could be a little bit different on that side. And we did not have these kinds of supply side shocks in 2008, 2009. So I think both the combination of the monetary growth, the nature of the PPP loans, and, and the supply side shocks and shortages, I think all those things make it a little riskier this time in terms of inflation than what we saw 12 years ago. I, I think the one you know, piece of data that for me is like, well, I, I could understand why it, it doesn't actually happen is uh, velocity of money. The velocity of money, if you look at it over the last year since the pandemic, we're down to like 1.3 something, I think. You know, we, we've injected the system with all this money, but it's not, it's not churning in the system, you know? Yeah, you know, Milton Friedman used to always say inflation is everywhere and, and always a monetary phenomena, meaning you can always track it back to changes in the money supply. Mm -hmm. Again, I think that the environment where you have an abundance of seed corn of the monetary base coupled with the shocks that we've seen on the supply side raise the risk in a, in a pretty meaningful way. The velocity of money is an interesting argument because, you know, what constitutes money is always an open-ended debate. We know that so many people carry out their transactions now with their debit cards, which is a version of electronic version of a checking account. But I mean, the way that we, the way that we connect commerce today is so different than what we saw back in the fifties and sixties when a lot of that academic work was done. Sure. Yeah, I think for me, you know, in, in my reading, that is one of the biggest arguments I can see where it doesn't matter if you print all that money, if it's not getting out in circulation, buying goods, you're not you're not going to have that that increase in, in, in buying, right. driving up prices. But, you know, but the other side of that to kind of follow on that point is is one of the great debates was always what they called the monetary transmission mechanism, which is for, for normal people who had a prime prom date. Here's what that would mean. It would mean how changes in the money supply impact the economy. And one of the ways that were always identified was through changing people's investment behavior, mm -hmm. the portfolio effects. And so, in fact, in 2008, 2009, I think it was Chairman Bernanke that actually said, you know, we're trying to incent people to to do more risk-owned trades to buy equities sure and certainly one way to do that is to push rates incredibly low yeah well there doesn't seem any need right now to encourage anyone to <laughs> take no. any, any more risk it seems to be out there in the open and everyone's chomping at the bit to to increase risk well i was but, looking, at, looking at recently you know because we've had a lot of questions about inflation from clients and just kind of seeing you know past 20 30 years what's been sort of the you know as a bar graph basically of what the inflation rate has been over the course of that time and uh, pretty sure it was not it was as far back as 1990 that it was even over 5% since then. Right. It's really been under that 4% mark. So there seems to be a lot of fear that, you know, things are going to spike and we might end up somewhere like we were in the early 80s. And, you know, I, I don't know. I was curious, Roger, what your take would be on the likelihood, if it is a likelihood or a probability or however you want to characterize it. But I, I personally can't see it getting back there. I think, you know, anytime that kind of stuff happens, it's kind of like with the Great Depression. You, you learn lessons and you, you utilize those things to prevent you from getting back to those times. But... It seems a lot of clients are very, very concerned to the extent that they are wanting us to use different inflation rates in our financial plans, right? You know, because of their fear. Well, we've got to be able to, we got to be willing to entertain that things do change over time. But here's the funny mm -hmm. thing to me I mean, I've got students in our graduate programs that never saw a real inflation because, as you said, mm -hmm. they had a little spike in the early 90s. But if you go back to the early 80s, mm -hmm. the last time we had double digit inflation, so you're talking about people that are 50 years old would have been 10, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's going to 
to be an interesting education. It is. If, in fact, it comes to fruition. And, and I am optimistic that a lot of it is transitory. Um, again, remember the year-over-year comparables are going to be pretty ugly because mm-hmm. we're looking right now back at a time where, where the prices were falling. Sure. And, uh, Nick alluded to the price of oil, and that's just one example. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, we kind of ended last segment uh, on the topic of inflation. And um, earlier this week, we had former Fed chair, uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, make some comments that were, you know, interpreted as um, suggesting that perhaps the Fed, you know, will have the need to raise rates. I'm trying to think exactly what she said, but basically that the economy could run hot and the Fed might need to raise rates. She's kind of backtracked on that and, and not saying she expects that to happen, but should, you know, conditions dictate so, they would they have the tools yeah. to act. Sure. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, we got to put things in context. The argument for zero interest rates is that you've got to make sure that credit crunches don't occur in the economy, that capital is flowing freely. I really haven't heard a lot of criticism of that function so recently. Not at all, yeah. And yeah. so I'm, I, I'm actually in the camp that says normalize sooner rather than later. Uh, there's a difference between taking your foot completely off the accelerator and putting it on the brake. Mm-hmm. And uh, the risk you run, we feel allow monetary accommodation for too long is the one we alluded to earlier, which is if we get an inflation. And we sure. have to remember the inflation we had in the late 70s and early 80s led to tight monetary policy, which likely contributed to what at that time was the deepest recession since the Great Depression. The yeah. one in 1981-82. Yeah. And you know, overall, economic data looks really strong right now. You mm-hmm. know, some people argue that the, the economy, you know, we said there's still 8.1 million jobs sure. uh, less than there were pre-pandemic. But other than the employment situation, everything looks pretty good. And even with the employment situation, there's more job openings now than there were pre-pandemic, more job openings. Mm-hmm. We need to fill those. And we're having an issue where employers can't fill those jobs. Right. And, you know, we had the conversation off the air, uh, Jarrett. You know, are people incentivized to stay home? So you have the un- uh, the mm-hmm. pandemic uh, benefits continuing through, I think, September. Sure. And um, there's a Wall Street Journal article today or yesterday where it, it, it actually has someone stating that I'm making more than $15 an hour right now to stay home. Right. Unless my dream job came yeah. to me, I'm going to continue to stay at home right. well, until my blame. former employer will hire me back. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to you blame have those people created too, this you know, you disincentive to, to continue to stay home. If you're making right. more than minimum wage to stay home. Why would you? People... If you people, can't, uh, can't go like out and get anything better, yeah, but that's a pretty good deal. You, you, it's hard to blame them when you know they don't have much of other, other sure, choice. E- economics is built around people making rational choices. That's right. And when you offer them the opportunity to make more, mm-hmm. you can't be surprised when they take it up. But talk to the restaurants, the hotels, the construction, and they will all tell you that we're back to the tightest labor markets in terms of current behavior they've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And we tend to forget before the pandemic hit, we the businesses consistently identify their challenges for attracting training labor as among the top two or three issues they had yeah yeah. and so you know we got a little bit of a blip during the pandemic but we're right back where we were so the open question is as you said nick when september rolls around and the enhanced benefits fade away will we see people return to the labor force participating because that's Mm -hmm. there's still a big gap there we've only made up about half of the drop in the labor force participation rate from january of 20 to where we are january 2020 to where we are now yeah, and I think we're kind of creating a situation where for the time being, you're going to see wages possibly continue to rise. I said 3.4% earlier. 
But it, with with the labor supply being so tight, you know, mm-hmm. workers are in a situation where they can demand, you know, a promotion or, you know, uh, some some higher wages if, if companies truly are having such difficulty uh, filling those open spots. So have you guys any numbers on what these infrastructure improvements would potentially add to the employment picture? I mean, is there been I haven't seen much on that. I'm just curious if you all have come across anything, because I don't know the details of that. And, and I think. It's still hard to say what actually comes to fruition. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it, it's a it's a interesting thing to watch for sure, Jared. Yeah, well, that should put a lot of people to work. Hopefully, anyways. Well, certainly a broader definition of infrastructure than maybe we would. Yeah, no before, kidding. So. <laughs> no kidding. That's you true. dig into that, how much of it actually is infrastructure? Exactly. But, yeah. A good um, point. You know, a couple of the things worth noted uh, noting happened this week. Uh, we had the eviction moratorium. Uh, overturned by a federal judge, which the CDC came out. We were all we had this conversation back when it occurred because I personally didn't know that the CDC had the authority to to enact something like that, um, an eviction moratorium for fear that it would you know lead to the further spread of the, of the uh, coronavirus. Yeah. Um, but a federal judge overturned that, which it was exp- it's supposed to expire, I think June uh, June thirtieth anyway. Um, but you know maybe that speeds up the process a little more, and you know we we've we've talked and and uh, kind of said that obviously we want to see people stay in their homes, hate to see anyone get evicted. But mm. there's also another cost to this in that you have landlords all over the place that they're not receiving any cash flow. Right. You know. And, and so correct me if I think the eviction moratoriums were applying to federally insured mortgages, right? Yes, I mean, the I private ones so. I think mm-hmm. are not are not a, a subject to that. That's but, true. But, you know, but again, increasingly over time, more and more mortgage activity has been, you know, the, 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 uh, the rise of the Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae's have been federally assured. Sure. It's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. I mean, if you think about the eviction moratorium expiring, like you said, and then also some of these stimulus benefits, assuming there's, there's not really any more to come. Because you mentioned earlier how the economy does seem to be firing on pretty, pretty well all, all cylinders, right? But there's been question about, you know, from clients, what happens when some of this stuff dries up? You know what? Right. I said, well, your guess is as good as mine. But, well, know. I think about situations too, like these individuals who haven't been paying rent for an, an excess of a year now, but you've mm-hmm. likely been receiving unemployment benefits that in many cases were more than you were making before. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know yeah. the answer to this, but where's there that, cases, where's yeah. that money going to is uh, I exactly. would assume it's probably not being saved or you would be it's making going the into payments. Dogecoin. That explains it. Good point. Yeah. Well, hey, they should have no problem paying all the back rent that they own now. I'm just pointing out the obvious. They don't even need a job anymore. Yeah, exactly. They're set. They retired. They put that last (laughs) stimulus check in Dogecoin, and they have a quarter of a million dollars now. And again, I think I think everybody around the table agrees it's a tough policy issue because we certainly care about people being able to stay in their homes, but you also have to be concerned about the property rights issues as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well guys uh you know one one final thing to to speculate on what's coming up uh, you know as you said earlier uncertainty is is never a good thing um the potential of a new fed president um Jerome powell's term is set to end february uh 2022 uh so you know some other names have been thrown out there um roger care to speculate the likelihood of a, a new fed president well i think a lot of it's going to have to do with how the economy does later this year and see whether uh president biden remains comfortable with chairman powell or not you know there have been some examples of significant changes one of the most pronounced was in 79 when uh, president carter actually rather than reappoint uh, miller 
who was the Fed chairman at that mm-hmm. time, brought in Paul Volcker with the understanding that Volcker was going to be seen as being a bit of a hawk. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we've had we had two academics, uh, Bernanke and Yellen, before we had um, uh, Chairman Powell. So it's it'll be an interesting to see, but I think it's probably too early to tell. Sure. And back to, yeah. you, to you saying kind of changing gears there, I, I think given the situation we're in, I think the Biden administration knows better than to certainly, uh, you know, appoint someone who is hawkish in a situation right. like this, because, I mean, you have a change in sentiment like that. Mm-hmm. It can disrupt markets very quickly, I feel like. Yeah, well, the markets um, want is always clarity. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you saw how sensitive markets were just to Yellen's comments, which were just comments. You know, I told clients that were asking about that. There's a lot of big difference between comment and action. Right. There was no action taken, but that's just how sensitive the market seems to be these days, given the levels and you know, where we are economically. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, much more to look forward to later this year. We have, I think the, the, uh, end of, uh, June or July, the debt ceiling debate comes back into play. We suspended it during the pandemic. Um, you know, so there, I think there's very much an opportunity for additional volatility to come. Um, Mm-hmm. But as we said, you know, overall economic conditions look good. The consumer is spending again. The consumer has the money to spend. Um, consumer balance sheets look strong. Yeah. So, and hey, it's it's propelling markets higher. You know, we, we talked earlier that the, it looked like the Nasdaq might have its fifth straight down day. Well, uh, it did not. It rallied at the end of the day. It's up. All oh, three major indices closed. Uh, higher all-time highs for the Dow. So uh, the market doesn't seem all too concerned right now. Right, Kelly Lynn? Apparently. <laughs> I, 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 I was just about to look it up. I was like, wait a minute. We, 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 we all. I think that's what the value plays are more important than ever because it won't take much whether, you know, it's, you know, new, new Fed chairman or whatever the case is for this to really spin out of control. And that's when you see the Doge coins and some of these other things that really lack a basis for investment crumble yeah. quickly. That's you know? right. Well, when we come back, we're going to take some listener questions that we've had over the course of the week. And uh, maybe it'll hit home with all you guys listening. You're listening to Money Talks, your trusted resource for your money, your future, your life. All material presented is from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decision and is not intended to replace the advice of qualified professionals, such as tax consultants, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in the Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.